Hope you guys are doing so good this beautiful morning. As you guys know, this is our last message in the Church on Mission series. And the Church on Missions stuff that we've been going through is really a behind-the-scenes look at J-Road. But it's super important to explain what we're going to be doing over the next five years as a church. And we think directional clarity is incredibly important. Where are we going? Like, every organization needs to define that for themselves. And we don't want to say, well, we just gather on Sundays and do church, and then we have these Bible studies in people's homes, and that's it. Like, we actually have all of this to accomplish our mission. And our mission, as we said, is to reach the lost, equip the found, and send the willing. In short, reach, equip, send. And that's the first part of our mission. And with that, we set our strategy of how we're planning on reaching the lost— how we're planning on equipping the found, and how we're planning on sending the willing. And so we shared our mission, our strategy, and today we're going to share our values. But even with the kind of the vision of where we're going and our goals that we set, the three, we basically have three main goals so far that we've set as a church, and that's to reach 5,000 people for Jesus by 2025, which is pretty exciting, right? Okay, reaching 5,000 people, you're like, I'll be excited when we get it done. No, I'm just kidding. That's fine. You can be excited then. So reaching 5,000 people for Jesus, and the way to track that is, is if you're at work or at school or on your street playing hacky sack with your neighbors, and you share Jesus with somebody, you can text the word mission card to 31996, and then you could say, hey, I share Jesus with somebody, and you could share that story with us. Um, it's very, like, detail-oriented, but it's incredibly important that we track this stuff. And it's also keeping on the front of your mind to be on the lookout to share the gospel because that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. And so we want to share that. So reach 5,000 people for Jesus, equip 2,000 people for mission, for ministry, and send 2,000 people out on 2025. And so we laid out what each one of those means. It doesn't mean that all 2,000 people we're going to send out at church plants by then, but it means that we could send people out. Like if you're a first-time person doing every 12th, that'll be counted as a small sending event and we'll count that as well. Um, So we're really excited about seeing all those. Today we're talking about values, and your core values are what you value most in your life. Some of y'all value your dogs very highly, right? Anybody here have dogs? Oh yeah. (laughs) Do you guys value your pooches like super highly? Okay. Would you sell me your dog for $100,000? Would you? (laughs) Janine said yeah. I was watching a YouTube video yesterday, a YouTube prank. I don't know if it's Instagram Reels prank, whatever, but this guy was walking around in a suit with a briefcase with money, and he was going to the park, and he was petting people's dogs. And he's like, man, you got such a nice dog. And she's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, I love your dog. And he's like, can I buy your dog for $50,000? And the lady's like, no. And he's like, I'll buy your dog right now for $100,000. And she li- the guy lifted up his briefcase, and he had $100,000. He said, right now. And she, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but my pooch would be gone. You know, I'm not saying I'd kill a dog for $100,000, but I'd give my dog to a loving person for $100,000. Because maybe it's not that high in my values. But, for, but that showed, he asked like five people, and none of them did it. I was actually really shocked. Kubanek, would you give up your pooch for 100 Gs? Okay, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, you would. Jen, maybe not. But, <laughs> but it shows, like, we can, what was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
two for a hundred. Um, but it goes to show that, like, if you say your value is your dog, like, by not selling them for a hundred Gs, like, you're, you're being honest to what your values are. You know, if you say, you know, my values are, as our family, like, one of our family values is, like, we want to have a clean house, and I go to your house, and it looks like hoarders. Like, I know, like, I'm not demonizing you for it, but that might not be one of your values. And so if we as a church say, this is one of our values, it should ooze from everything we do. And so values are incredibly important. And so we made a point to, like, pray over our values and make sure they're set in stone, our, what our values are. But I want to say this first. Our values are different than our foundational beliefs, okay? Our foundational beliefs are what makes us a church, okay? And our values is what makes us J-Road. You see there's a distinct difference there. Our foundational beliefs is what makes us a Bible-believing church, and our values are what makes us J-Road. I think I actually have a slide for that um, up there, fellas. fellas. Um, oh, there you go. See, I'm on top of them. My values are that these are, you know— No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so the reason I say this is because when I share with you that we have five values, when we do this as a board, people are like, like, one of your values isn't like Jesus is the son of God. Like, that's one of our foundational beliefs as a church. One of your values isn't like the Bible is the holy, inerrant word of God. Of course it is. That's one of our foundational beliefs. Does that make sense? Like, our values is what makes us unique to every other church in Muskegon. But <clears throat> our church and all the other churches in Muskegon, we're probably going to have very similar foundational beliefs because that's our foundation. So I wrote out our foundational beliefs, most of them. Um, I could write many, but on the next slide it says this. Here's our foundational beliefs. Number one. There might be a 10-second delay. Let's just wait. Check your phone if you want. You got mission card. Like, you guys can look that up. Okay. No, no, no. Go back, go back, go back. Okay, here you go. Am I being too demanding today? Sorry. I, forgive me, boys. Forgive me, guys. Forgive me. You're doing great up there. I'm going to buy you all a latte next week. Um, so these are our foundational beliefs. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's co-equal with the Father. Jesus lived a sinful, sinless human life and offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of all the people by dying on the cross. He rose from the dead after three days, demonstrated his power over sin and death, he ascended to heaven and will return again someday to earth to reign as a king. Amen? All right, show some excitement this morning. I'll buy, I'll buy first service all latte next week if I see you guys being hyped this week, all right? Not buy you a latte. I'll offer you guys latte up at the J-Road Cafe. Um, um, so this is like number one. These are all number one, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. There, there can't be other ways to heaven. I don't care what people say, what they think, what they heard Oprah say. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. There's not multiple ways to heaven. Um, amen. Thank you. Buying you a latte, too. Um, the Bible is absolute truth from God. It's not, it's not just something that somebody came up with that's open to debate. We believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, the church is God's people who exist on mission to make disciples, and— once you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. The other ones that are, I could list are heaven and hell are actual real places. Um, humans, the human soul is created to exist forever and is never going to cease to exist. It's either going to exist in heaven or it's going to exist in hell, depending on what you do with Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
So those are our foundational beliefs as a church. I think it's worth knowing or worth saying once a year. That's true with most churches, um, evangelical churches. Um, the values are what makes us unique. So we'll go to our values. The values are what makes J-Road, J-Road. So the first value we have, and if you guys follow us on social media, I've been plugging them away each day on the J-Road Instagram page and J-Road's Facebook page. So if you aren't following us on Instagram or Facebook, like us on either one, because um, we, we kind of highlight these throughout the week as well. But the first value we have is intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. Um, intimacy is a very, very deep word, all right? Um, it's very deep. It means this close and personal relationship. Like many of you guys might have a, like a friend that you would consider this like an intimate relationship. Now I know like the word intimacy has very like sexual connotations. Um, obviously sex or sex, sexual connotation is one of the ways intimacy is used. But one of the primary ways is a very deep and knowing relationship. If you're married, you should have a very intimate relationship with your wife. You know, all the sex stuff aside, you should have a very intimate, deep relationship with your wife where you talk. You talk about your feelings. You talk about your heart. If you're married, chances are your spouse knows you better than anybody else, right? They know they've seen your underwear drawer. They know what's in there. That's a very intimate relationship. And we want to know what's we want to have this, like, close, personal relationship with Jesus. Why would that be a value for ours? Because we believe in a lot of churches in America, you can be, like, spectators of Jesus. You can be fans of Jesus, but you don't really have a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. So we don't believe in a religion. We believe in a relationship. And so this is that close, personal relationship with Jesus. And we want to overemphasize that as a church and like always be pushing for that intimacy piece. And that could be in your quiet times and your devotions. It's also shown in your worship, you know, at church. It's shown in these little ways. And it's like your intimacy um, with Jesus and how close you feel to Jesus. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 4 and 5. He says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And what Jesus is saying here is like, Jesus, us, we need to be connected like a branch to a vine. We need to be connected. There needs to be this abiding relationship with Jesus. And that's why I ask people, like I ask our leaders, and I ask people, like, are you spending time with Jesus every day? It's incredibly important. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just, are you abiding in Christ? Or has it been five days or two weeks till you really, like, sat down and prayed or really, like, talked to Jesus like a father? Um, that's what I want to know is, like, are you abiding? Because every day when you abide in Christ, like, you get filled spiritually where you can go out and bear fruit, as it says here. And you could bear fruit, and it's very important. So how do we have this? So we all have this public faith, and we all have a private faith, okay? If you guys are here today and your neighbor saw you going somewhere at Sunday morning at 8.30, chances are that's your public faith. They probably think, you know, you're not going, you know, to the store. You're probably going to church. And you being here at church is public faith. You praying, taking communion, that's all public faith. But then there's also this part of us that's our private faith. It's our private faith. 
What does that look like? Um, for me, I've told this story a hundred times because it's just my daily routine. But my daily routine is I wake up at 6 a.m., I maybe 5.30 sometimes, I put on my robe, I put on my slippers, I make a cup of coffee, and I walk down to my basement and do my quiet time for like a half hour to an hour. That's what it is. So what does my quiet time look like? I have a journal, I have a Bible, and I have my cup of coffee. And what I do is I write down the date, what day it is, and then I write down what chapter I read in the Bible, and I usually read one chapter out of the Bible. And then I write down, after I write down that chapter, I write down what God spoke to me in that chapter. So yesterday I read Mark chapter 5, and then I wrote down what I learned from it. Like one thing that stuck out to me. I'll write it down in my journal. And then I write down what I did for like the day. I'll fill out yesterday's portion of the journal, what I did all day, what I learned. Did I feel spiritually attacked during the day? Did I feel like it was a great day? Did I feel like I failed and I sinned? Like I write that stuff down. I don't do every single thing like Charlotte was rude to me at church. Like, I don't really write down all that stuff, but I write down like the big things. And the reason I do that is for two reasons. Number one is I can go back over the past year and I could flip through my journal and see that I filled it in every single day and I didn't miss a day. So I realized that I've been remaining in Jesus and he's been remaining in me and abiding. So that's why I think it's important to journal. And I'll also, on my journal, I'll have the prayer page, which is like a few pages back, which is I write down all my prayers. And then when God answers them, I cross it off. And, when the, and I'll put praise. When he answers his no, I'll still say praise and cross it off. And if he hasn't said yes or no, I'll just keep praying for it every day, and it just stays on the list. Once I fill it up, I create a new list, and I go from there. And I think that's incredibly important that we somehow track our prayers. Do you know what I'm, like, asking for as we as a church have a deeper intimacy? Is like, it's like, when do you pray? Well, I pray in the shower when I'm shaving my legs. Okay, if you pray in your shower and you're shaving your legs, like, I get that, but chances are, if that's the only time you pray, and I'm not knocking the shower shaving legs prayer, keep praying. But I'm saying is, if that's the only time you pray, I have a feeling our prayers are going to resort to maybe shallowness. Like, God, I pray that I have a good day. Pray that I get, you know, get this promotion. I pray that this. And when we pray, it's like, that's our prayer closet, like, prayer warrior time to be like, hey, we worship God. We thank God specifically for what he's doing in our lives. We confess our sins, and we ask him for things that we're praying for. And then we could record if it's happening or not. So we could see God move in a big way, amen? Like, we want to see God move. So that's part of the reason we write down our prayers, too, so we could see it. So, um, I only share that with you because I want us to make our intimacy with God incredibly important. And I want us to have um, that time. You know, and I always give people a hard time for this, and I'll continue to give people a hard time for this. But when we say, like, we don't have time, like, the two objections I hear for the intimacy with Jesus is, I don't have time, and I'm not a big reader. Okay? If you're not a big reader, like, I'm not a huge reader. If you're not a big reader, you can download apps or get tools to help you listen to the Bible and listen to a chapter of the Bible a day. Get alone and just listen to it. There's a Dwell app that you could buy. I think it's dirt cheap. Um, and you could, like, listen to the Bible in a, like, West African man's accent, if that's your thing. Or you could listen to it in a British woman's accent. Um, but what I'm saying is you don't have to read to absorb God's word. That's fine. The second thing is I don't have time. Anytime as people, and I'm just saying this is a motivational thing for our church family. Anytime we say, I don't have time, is what we're actually saying is, I don't want to make time for this. Right? 
like, I don't have time for this, is we're saying that I don't want to make time for that. Because there's always time. You look at how much time we spend on our phones. We look at how much time we spend on Netflix, how much time we spend on Hulu, how many times we spend, you know, doing whatever. We make time for what's important to us. We make time for what's important. And if we got a busy schedule, you know, what I always say is you could always use less sleep. You know, God can make you function off of six. Go, go for six. But chances are there's space in our lives where we can give up time to fit in things that are most important to us whether that's your wife, your kids, whether it's studying, whether it's exercise, whether it's time with Jesus, set the time and keep it in your schedule. Amen? Amen. So we can find the time to do it. Um, The point I want to make of this too is your private faith is exponentially more important than your public faith. Jesus, like, talked to the disciples about—or the disciples about this and the Pharisees about this. He's saying the Pharisees are big about their public faith— but their private faith was non-existent. And that's a problem. So he's saying your private faith, the part that nobody sees, is incredibly important. More important than the part that everybody sees. So that's the first one. The second value that we have at J-Road is called vulnerability. We want to be a church that's vulnerable. What do I mean by that? We demonstrate this by being transparent and honest about our weaknesses and sin as to create a culture of authenticity. So we model all these values. Number one, I believe it starts with me because I'm a lead pastor, and then I believe it trickles down to the elders, then I believe it trickles down to the staff, and then I believe it trickles down to the j partners and missional community leaders, and then it trickles down to the missional communities, and then it trickles down to everybody else. But this is how we set a culture of a church. And we want to be vulnerable with each other, meaning that we— let our guards down a little bit. Like we are very open and honest with each other about our weaknesses and about our sin because we want that to be the place that we go to. Like I don't want you guys to see the church leaders and think they have a lot of secrets and they play their cards close to the chest. I don't play my cards close to the chest. I know our elders don't, our missional communities don't. We are who we are and we do that for a very specific purpose. But the verse we get this from is 2 Corinthians 6, 11 and 13. I kind of chop up these three verses, but the, the gist of what it's saying here is Paul saying is, we have, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. Won't you open wide your hearts to us also? Like we've bared our souls to you. We've told you everything there is to know. Won't you do the same for us? Like don't, don't go into hiding. The reason vulnerability is so important is vulnerability is the key to discipleship. And Jesus said in the Great Commission, go out and make disciples of all the earth. And if we want to make disciples, we got to be vulnerable with each other. Vulnerability is the key to discipleship. Why is that? Has anyone ever said, hey, I'm really struggling? That takes vulnerability. Hey, I'm really struggling. I am struggling with this sin in my life. Like that takes a lot of vulnerability because we're telling somebody that I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. I, my marriage isn't perfect. My parenting isn't perfect. And so we let our guard down, we swallow our pride, and we be vulnerable with each other. Has anybody ever raised their hand in a missional community to ask a question? That's incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> and so one thing we tell our missional community leaders, and we, I'll tell you now, never ever laugh, make fun of, joke about somebody asking a question in an intimate setting. Because when somebody asks a question in an intimate setting, 
you know what they're saying? I want to learn. I want to grow. And we should never make fun of somebody about that. And I know that doesn't happen here um, for the most part. But once in a while, we're an MC, and somebody asks—we say, hey, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. And they say, well, is that in the Old Testament or New Testament? And you're like, oh my gosh, they don't know that? Well, we all got to start somewhere. <laughs> and, we, and they're just being vulnerable. And so it's, those questions are good. And we all um, have to be open and honest with each other, and it's good. What's the opposite of vulnerability? What would you guys say is the opposite of vulnerability? Pride? Yeah. Invulnerability? <laughs> it's like cheating. Unvulnerable. Uh, <laughs> I would say the opposite of vulnerability, like at its core, is um, being guarded. And we guys all know guarded people. They don't let anybody in. And that's like not good for Christians to be that way. Like, I don't let anybody in my life. And the reason they're like that is they've probably been wounded in their past. They've probably been hurt. And the, this is why I say vulnerability is the key to discipleship. Because if you're guarded and don't let anybody in, then you're not going to be able to let anybody speak into your life. You're not going to be able to deal with your sin. Um, you're not going to let anybody in. Therefore, nobody's going to let you in. And so we're not going to have this closeness that we need to have as a church. So don't be guarded. Open up yourselves and be vulnerable. And we'll demonstrate that too. I'll just say right now, this might shock some of you, but I'm not perfect. And I've sinned in the last 24 hours. I'm not going to say what I did, because that would be too much for, t- for you to handle. But I've sinned in the last 24 hours, and I asked Jesus for forgiveness. Maybe I made a gesture to somebody on the road. Maybe I yelled at my kids. Maybe I kicked the neighbor's dog. I won't say what I did, but I'm not perfect. But I'm trying my hardest to be more like Jesus every day, and I'm being vulnerable with you guys about that. Um, so the third is this. So we got being the, uh, intimacy with Jesus, vulnerability. The third is being the church, okay? The, the third is being the church. So being the church is every believer has a gift from God, and we need to use those gifts to advance the church. Whether you're here right now, you might not think that you're incredibly special, but to Jesus, you are so special. Doesn't that sound like a, like a greeting card a little bit? To Jesus, you are so special. He has a plan for you. He created you. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. And when you got saved, he gave you a gift. You have talents, like we're all talented, but he gave you a spiritual gift to advance the kingdom. And so we need to use that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so that's why we push people out of their comfort zones at J-Road. Because we want you guys to use these gifts. Like, God made no mistakes. And he didn't want you to become a Christian to warm the pew for the rest of your life. And I know that we don't have a lot of pew warmers here at J-Road, so I, I thank you guys for that. But he wants us to get out and get in the game. That's why the main point of this is everybody plays here at J-Road. Everybody plays here at J-Road. Everybody has a gift. Everybody, we want everybody to get in the game. We want everybody to play. We don't want anybody to be stuck on the sidelines. This is one of our biggest values is being the church. We say it every time we talk about every 12th, every time we leave. Um, and so he wants you to use those things. How can you use your gifts in the church? You know, number one, you could use your gifts on a Sunday morning service. Sunday morning is our biggest ministry day of the year. We don't make any bones about that. Like, 
it's the day that the most people come in this building is Sunday morning. We have a lot of lost people, a lot of found people, a lot of kids come, a lot of people come in different areas of life. And so we know that Sunday morning we need a lot of people to make this thing happen. And so we average about 30 to 40 people every service to help it go well. And that includes like, you know, the same coffee people who are doing it today might do it first and second service, but about 30 to 40 people per service. Kids ministry requires a lot because we believe discipling kids is important. Um, We have greeters, parking lot people, security, all that good stuff that happens to make J-Road happen. And so Sunday morning's big. You can use your gifts at Echo. You can use your gifts down at J-Road Kids because we believe the next generation is incredibly important. And if you guys are helping out with Echo, I want to thank you guys a lot. That's a very important ministry. Kids need uh, adults in their life to show them Jesus and care for them and love them. And same with kids ministry. If you're helping in kids ministry in any capacity, I really want to thank you because that's one of our most important ministries. Kids need role models in their life. And even if they see you here at church and you get to talk to them, that's incredibly important. Kids need to know that we love them and we care about them. And this is, you know, they're a part of the church as well. We don't—we never want kids' ministry to feel like this ministry in the back that's just babysitting, right? Like, we want them, these kids, to feel like they are part of the church. So, Lord willing, when they grow up, they go into Echo, and when they graduate Echo, that they have a place to serve here in the church, and they feel like they're part of the church. So we believe um, that's very important. You could use your gifts to share the gospel throughout the week in advance the kingdom. You could use your gifts to serve the church physically in our physical church area. Um, disciple or mentor someone and serve through various projects like the J-Row project. But being the church requires you to get out of your comfort zone. And as I said last week, every time God pushes out of us out of our comfort zone, he create, like we create a new comfort zone. And so all throughout our lives, we got to keep getting pushed out of our comfort zone. That's okay. That's not bad. <laughs> and we never want to stay stagnant in one place. That's like sanctification. We're growing in Christ. So once you get uncomfortable— eventually, a few years later, you're going to be pushed again and pushed again because we want to keep growing for Jesus. And that's not bad. The, the next one, the second to last one, is multiplication. Multiplication is very important. We want to be a church that plants churches. We want to be a church that makes disciples who make disciples and raise up leaders who replicate themselves or raise up leaders who raise up leaders. This is found in 2 Timothy 2.2 where it says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. So what you have heard from me, entrust to other people who will in turn be able to teach others. There's three parties right there, and it's leaders replicating themselves, leaders replicating leaders. It's very important. This has many layers for disciple-making, but this is what multiplication is talking about is disciple-making. We want to create disciples and pour into people who could in turn take and pour into other people. And a great example of multiplication at its core level is, you know, let's say that um, Jackie has three girls that she meets with every Saturday, and she does a Bible study with them. She disciples them. She has them over for dinner. She pours into them every week. And then at the end of their time together, the end of their year, she tells those three women, why don't you three women— ask three women to join you in a Bible study. And so where there was four, there's now nine. Okay, nine, then there's 12. Not very good at math. But you get the point of multiplication, right? What just turned out as Jackie with three girls now turned out with these three girls and their three girls. And then after that, 
those three women feel confident to entrust in other women, and guys should be doing the same thing. It's just discipleship 101. The, we do that in our missional communities. And at some point, we expect our missional communities to raise up leaders that could take over another missional community and raise up other people. But discipleship happens in relationships, and that's one of the core levels of this. So we want our MCs to be doing it. We want people to be pouring into other people, and it's good. We're, and the other part of multiplication is planting churches. There is not a lot of churches that plant churches. Even our denomination, which is very big on church planting, we are one of three churches out of 30 in our whole um, district, which is Michigan and Northwest Ohio, that are planting churches right now. And it's not very many churches are doing it. Why? Number one, I, you know, I'll, I'll reserve my opinion in case one of them are watching online. But I believe it's very hard when a church is struggling, let's just say on a Sunday morning, and they just finally hit 100 people, and then they feel like, okay, we're finally getting momentum to say we're going to give like 30 away to another church. And pastors struggle with that. Churches struggle with that. And a lot of churches are— they're in so much debt, they can't even make ends meet. So why would I plan a church thinking that, oh, crap, maybe our big three givers are going to leave, and then <laughs> we're not even going to be able to pay our bills, and we're going to die? Again, in my opinion, that's a lack of faith, but that's why a lot of churches don't plant churches. They've gotten themselves in too much debt. They're not making disciples, and so if you're not making disciples, you're not going to plant churches. But if you're making disciples, and you're not eyeballs in debt as a church— Planting churches shouldn't be a problem because you have people that are constantly reaching the lost and equipping the found and sending the willing. So planting churches should become easier. <laughs> that is totally okay. You don't worry about that. She's just excited. Um, but do you know what I mean by that? If we are making disciples, it should be no thing to send people out and start new churches. And where new churches start, Muskegon, life happens. Like, studies show that more people are reached in a new church plant than an existing church plant because there is so much excitement about a new church sprouting up. And so it is so good to be doing this. And we want to plant five, six, seven churches over the next 10 years. I don't even know. I want to, we want to keep planting churches. So we have Michael Burroughs and Jill and Michael Burroughs and their family that are here. They are our resident church planters. They're going to be on staff. Eventually, he's going to transition out of his full-time job and become full-time here. And over time, Lord willing, sometime next year, we will send him out to plant a church. So we're already looking for church buildings. He's already building a core team, and um, we're investing in this because it's important to us. On our mission, or on our new giving envelopes, we have a line item for church planting. If you want some of your tithe to go to church planting, so be it. Like, we value church planting, and we're going to put our money where our mouth is as a church. And, um, you know, so that's part of the reason we put that on here. Wait, oh, I even brought up a visual. Here's the new card. On there, general giving, church planting, the Jericho Road Project with our housing ministry. And so we're saying as a church, like, we want to model what you, we, you guys already do, to live open-handedly with our finances. Like, we don't want all the money to come to our general fund and we hold it so tightly. We want to live open-handedly because we know when we are generous, God blesses it. And we know here at J-Road, some of you are generous as well. And so our last value— our last value is this. It's an aspirational value. Because if you look at our values, I would say all of them we have modeled and we've accomplished up to this point. But this last one is an aspirational value, and that's called the value of diversity. Now, I mean this in a couple different ways, but um, all people are created in God's image and have value. 
all people are created in God's image and have value. The verse we use for, for this, or one of the verses we go to is this, is James 2.1. It says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You know, partiality in the church can be seen in a number of different ways. It could be seen as, you know, racism. It could be seen as socioeconomical favoritism, where a church favors people who are more wealthy than people that are not more wealthy. Um, partiality just comes in many different forms. But we're saying as a church, we want to be diverse. Part of the reason we want to be diverse is because Muskegon is a very diverse community. Steel Neighborhood's a very diverse community. So if we are serious about reaching anybody and everybody, we will be more diverse looking like our community. So our heart is, next year or 12 months from now, that we will be a little less white than we are now. We'll have more black folks. We'll have more Hispanic folks. We'll have more white folks too, I guess. Anybody. Asian folks. But not just that, but we are open to people of all color, but we are open to people of all socioeconomical backgrounds. So if somebody invites you over to their house, it doesn't matter if they live in a shack or a mansion or a trailer or, you know, a beautiful house here and there, we treat everybody the same in our hearts, no matter what their background looks like, whatever their skin color looks like, no matter what their bank account looks like. We want to value diversity of all different kinds and all different cultures. And so what we're also saying here with diversity is, is we, are, we don't want to create an echo chamber of a church where we all have the same political views, right? Like even politically, like we're not going to cast you out if you're not like Democrat or not Republican. Like we know we have all different backgrounds. And a church should never like go for like uni uniformity, but unity. We want unity surrounding the gospel. We want unity surrounding the Bible. But all other things is we will accept and love and appreciate diversity. Sound good? So again, I wanted to lay these out for us. I want these to be J. Rhodes values, and they will be. But I also want you guys to adopt these five values as well and live them out as God sees fit in your life. And so um, I challenge you guys to do that as well. I'm going to challenge to live these out in my life, and I want you guys to as well. Let me pray as the worship team comes forward. God, we love you, and um, we worship you. God, we pray that we as a church can grow in our intimacy with you and our closeness with you, number one. And God, I pray that um, we exist to be the church and use our gifts. God, we are big on discipleship and multiplication. God, we are vulnerable and unguarded in ourselves. God, we are open and honest. And um, God, we, we uh, seek, we appreciate, and we love diversity. And God, that means accepting people who don't look like us, accepting people who live in different parts of the city than us, and just appreciating and loving that, that you don't want us to show any partiality to anybody. You don't want us to treat anybody different. And so, God, um, we exist to live these things out. God, we pray that we as a church can live these out every day. And God, we pray that we can remain close to you, and you will remain close to us. So we love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks.